right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing-controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican-controlled. is in a crucial stage it's not because of foreign wars we wage it's more to do with the colors blue and red too many laws and too much government can you tell me where the constitution went the bill of rights is just hanging by a thread so many people try to cross the border and politicians build a new world order too many minds are convinced they should be led. I've got to be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn UN. Taking your right to self-defense. They say you're safer, but they don't make sense. Dangerous ones will not turn into guns. Always ask for more. All we buy is made on foreign shores. Come a day when there'll be real hell to pay. I've gotta be free the way God made men. And I won't be ruled by the damn Welcome to today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever-so-humble host, Tim Tap, coming to you from Roan County, Tennessee. And, you know, I have to add a caveat to that ever-so-humble, because I'm also mostly peaceful, like most conservatives tend to be, except that's not the story we keep being told here lately, is it? Ladies and gentlemen, we're told that we're right-wing extremists because we have such far-flung and just 
absolutely mind-boggling ideas like the belief that the Constitution is a good thing. A, a general idea that the federal government should be constrained, that it in fact should be a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, not a government of an elitist aristocrat class that has become a political class that believes that they are above the rest of us. But here we are. A lot of what we're going to be talking about today has a lot to do with how out in the open these people are, uh, how they can't even seem to get out of their own way, though, because we've often observed exactly the fact that these political leftists keep accusing us, the conservatives in this country, of all the things that they're really up to. We keep being told that we're the ones trying to steal elections. We keep being told that we're the ones that are violent that we're the ones that are extremists, despite the fact that we're the ones trying to, you know, protect the Constitution, protect the Republic, protect children from sexualization, protect children from predators, protect children from being chemically castrated or surgically mutilated in the name of the opportunity to make a few extra bucks instead of following the Hippocratic Oath. You know, just a few simple things here and there. We also have this strange fundamentalist idea. Yes, very fundamentalist, because, you know, we are the extremists. This fundamentalist idea that somehow the truth should matter. That there is, in fact, an objective truth. Now, obviously, we live in an age where we're not supposed to talk about objective truth. We're supposed to talk about subjective truth. You know, your truth is what matters. The truth is a construct of homophobic, white supremacist misogyny. It's just because it's the enemy, ladies and gentlemen. They do the same thing that they do to us, the people that are willing to stand up that are willing to speak out, that are willing to point out the, the glaring failures in their logic. They point out that we're their enemy. So how do they treat us? Like we are the bad guys. They call us names. They discredit us. They demonize us. They try and convince the general public that we are monsters. They do the same thing with the truth. The truth must be treated like the enemy. Because at the end of the day, the truth is the enemy of the narratives that they're trying to send. And so here we are. Completely irrelevant currently. Hillary Clinton decides to get herself on the conversation topics. She's leading the pack. Gee, the Democrats know they're in trouble at this point. They don't want to admit it. They keep trying to come up with cover stories and reason-wise. But, you see, we're often accused, us conservatives, of being election deniers, particularly because of the outcome of the most recent presidential election. Because some of us have questioned an outcome that puts Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. at the top of the electoral results. Because some of us 
recognized shenanigans that took place and couldn't help but ask a few questions about how widespread these shenanigans were. To what extent did they impact the final outcome? Well, of course, we keep being told there wasn't widespread election fraud. But as I was pointing out well before we got into the election cycle, that they wised up enough to know where they're going to win, where they don't have a chance, where they can't manipulate their way out of a scenario. So they've learned to target just a few places that have major impacts. They don't have to have widespread. They can just target some pinpoint locations and then just do what they normally do everywhere else, right? Well, we point this out. We raise a few questions. Well, we're all dangerous insurrectionists. The election deniers, the threat to democracy. Even though every time a Republican wins, uh, it's automatically a stolen election. We had Whoopi Goldberg uh, saying this on The View the other day when Ted Cruz stopped by, literally making the point that, oh, well, you know, it's not us that goes out and get violence to try to overcome an election. And uh, Ted very, very appropriately pointed out a whole summer of Antifa riots, which, of course, our good friend Whoopi Goldberg said she doesn't even know what that is. I don't even know what an Antifa riot is. Of course you don't there, uh, Whoopi. Of course you don't. Well, Hillary Clinton is leading the charge on uh, the 2024 election denial for the Democrats. You see, the former First Lady, former U.S. Senator from the great state of New York, the former Secretary of State, and the twice-failed presidential candidate. She was warning everybody. You, you heard the clip at the very beginning of the show. She was warning everybody that right-wing extremists, that's you and me, boys and girls, that we're plotting. You know, ooh, so plot, so evil, that's what we're doing. That we're plotting the steal the 2024 presidential election. And in part of her argument, she made some statements that I just can't help but comment about. She made some statements that are still leftist Democrat Party talking points. But for anybody who understands how the presidential election actually works, it's pretty clear that they're still just trying to overthrow the system. So let's take a look at it. She said right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. She, of course, is trying to urge all of her followers, all three of them, to help crush the coup. Despite the fact that I think an argument can be made that it's actually her side that is trying to perform anyway she believes that this coup could happen in two years and she said that us the the right-wing extremists we're not even making it a secret you know we're we're being all upfront about it. I would like to remind you that Hillary very famously accused George W Bush of being selected and not elected. Uh, this was, of course, back when 
Bill Clinton's VP, the Al Gore, you know, back during the 2000 election. She made that statement then. And again, when she lost in 2016, falsely accusing former President Trump of colluding with Russians, she waited a, a full day to deliver a concession speech, and she continued to hint, rather darkly, I might say, that the election was unfair. She said that there was widespread understanding that this election in 2016 was not on the level. This is something she said talking to The Atlantic back in October of 2020. She said that we still don't know what really happened. Yeah, we do, Hillary. You lost. You know why you lost? Because you were a terrible candidate. Because nobody likes you. Even the people who think they might like you, they spend 10 minutes with you, and they instantly know, nope, I was wrong. I do not like this woman. She said, quote, there's just a, a lot that I, I think will be revealed. History will discover. But you don't win the popular vote by three million votes and have all this other shenanigans and stuff going on and not come away with an idea like, whoa, something's not right here. That was a, a deep sense of unease. Well, gee, Hillary, I wonder why conservatives might feel the same way when Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., a man who's barely more than a venal houseplant at this point, supposedly gets the largest number of votes in American history? Really? A guy that hid in the basement for the majority of the time, and much like you when you ran, did better when nobody saw him. Did better when nobody heard from him. Did much better in the polls. But every time he made a public statement, out of nowhere, failure. So how do you win the popular vote by 3 million votes and still lose the general election? Because the popular vote doesn't decide the outcome. The Electoral College does. It was a measure put in place by our founding fathers who understood that if you used straight democracy to determine these things, the minority voices would never be heard, that minorities could never come out with the win, and that it would not be particularly representative of American values as a whole, that it would only represent the values held by those in the most populous regions. They understood the dangers of party politics. They warned us against it. We ignored that warning. They also understood that by not utilizing a form of equalizing against the majority so that minority voices could still have weight in determining these elections, they recognized that that would still be an additional step, an additional protection against straight democracy. Because straight democracy, as I have told you a million times at this point, if you're a regular listener, I'm sure you're tired of me telling you, 
It's nothing more than two wolves and a sheep getting together to decide what to have for dinner. The minority does not fare well in that scenario. It's not difficult to understand. It's not rocket science. It doesn't take a great psychic to realize what's happening. Hence, you can win the popular vote by 3 million votes. You can get every single vote available in the states of California and New York. And you can still lose the general election because those flyover states, you know, those people that you and your elitist friends don't think too much about, think we're too stupid to make our own decisions, think we're not wise enough to make choices for ourselves. Yeah, those people, they still get a say in who runs this country too. Not just the people that you've managed to brainwash and to continue to vote for Democrats, continue to vote blue no matter who, continue to vote despite the fact that as long as you have uncontested power in formerly beautiful states, formerly beautiful cities in this country, some of the greatest jewels of the world at one point in time, then after a few decades, become the worst kind of crap holes. Yeah, never mind the fact that clearly it's the policies that are enacted by these people that keep getting put back in power. At some point, conservatives need to just get up out of those communities and say, hey guys, we'll leave it to you. You get what you deserve when you keep voting this way, when you don't learn from your mistakes, when you don't recognize that these people are nuts. Yeah. Now, Hillary actually turned 75 years old this week, believe it or not. So, you know, uh, happy belated birthday. Or actually, I don't think she has turned 75 yet. I think it's upcoming this week. So, a happy early birthday, Hillary. It's been rumored that she's once again considering possibly getting back into the race, throwing her hat back in the ring, trying one more time to become president of the United States because clearly Joe Biden just can't do it. Even though she's already very firmly committed to the fact that she will not do it again, she's done with it. Well, that's not what's being said behind closed doors and Oh, she's salivating at the opportunity. Right now, she seems to be laying the groundwork for more suspicion and division, just on the off chance that whatever Republican nominee uh, shows up and shellacks Joe Biden or whoever the Democrats decide to put up in the event that they manage to strong arm him or, heaven forbid, something medically happened where he just can't uh, run. At this point, I literally don't know what that would be, considering what the Democrats are willing to run as candidates right now. Yeah, she wants to uh, put this division, she wants to start making the excuses too. She said that the right-wing-controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures. Yes, you heard me that correctly. State legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think if that happens. 
the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote. It's never been decided by the popular vote, nor should it be, Hillary. For somebody that's supposed to be in the party that's supposed to represent the minority voices, you should be a cheerleader for the Electoral College. But should not by the popular vote or even by the anarchistic electoral college. Basically, she's trying to say that it's out of place and out of time. Acronistic. You know, if you run into something that is uh, something that's not even supposed to be in the time that it represents kind of thing. Yes, the anachronistic electoral college. But by state legislature, many of them Republican-controlled. Like, that's supposed to be scary. How did those state legislatures become state-controlled, Hillary? Because the people of those states decided so. There was a time where the only electors who went to the electoral college to determine who would become the next president, were handpicked, selected by state legislators. And while, of course, not very many people are willing to say, maybe we should go back to that, I'm here to say that, yeah, maybe we should go back to that. Not because there's not room for people to decide who's going to represent them at the Electoral College, but because it should be the job of these state legislators to make those de determinations on our behalf. They are representatives selected to represent us. You know, we the people. <sighs> yeah. Hillary wants you to think that this should be a job performed by the popular vote. Because that's the popular thing within the Democratic Party. But really, what you're hearing when she says this, and let me play that clip again. When she says this, keep in mind, you're hearing the Democrats once again saying, if we win, don't question our power, our authority, or the outcome. But if they win, it's a threat to democracy. Listen to her again. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing-controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Now, I'm going to pause right there. Because what she's actually talking about is the Supreme Court may be about to rule that, oh yeah, by the way, state legislatures do have control over what group of electors are selected, what slates of electors go to the college. That's not overturning the results of an election. That is actually performing what is, in fact, a constitutional duty and has been for a very long time. Uh, go ahead, Hillary. Just think, if that happens, 
the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote. Which it's never been and never should be, despite the best arguments from the left. Or even by the anachronistic electoral college. The anachronistic electoral college. She's claiming that it's a relic that didn't even belong in the time that it existed. That's so wrong. This was a tool created to protect the voice of the minority. Too bad nobody understands that. But by state legislatures, many of them Republican-controlled. Oh, no, the Republicans are always going to do the bad thing, even though it's Republican policies that has everyone in this country doing the best they can under normal circumstances. Wow. Just wow. All right, let's take that mid-hour break before it gets any later, because we're going to need some time, boys and girls, for my conversation. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on the other side of this brief break. this. The president has been very clear, you know, as you know, the president has been very clear, very clear, very, very clear. Uh, uh, uh. The president is doing what the president is your, the president is, these are items that the president has been very clear on. We're in the quote. Repeat the line. Uh, uh, uh. And so the president has been very clear. The president has been very clear. I was going to put him, uh, put the president's been very clear. Why? But the president has been very clear. But is he going to specify exactly? No, but he has. The best way to get something done that uh, uh, if you if you hold near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to. Uh, uh, Because of the grossly inadequate government school system practice of not teaching complete and authentic American history, one would think that black Americans contributed very little to our American society. Hello, I'm Rod Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, if your refrigerator contains any produce from your local grocery market, then you can rightfully credit black United States inventor Frederick McKinley Jones. Mr. Jones took out more than 60 patents throughout his life of achievement. Amongst them was a 1930s patent for the roof-mounted cooling system commonly used to refrigerate food products on extended transportation routes. Frederick McKinley Jones officially received his roof-mounted cooling system patent for his invention in 1940. He also co-founded the U.S. Thermal Control Company that later became famously known as Thermo King. The company was critical during World War II, helping to preserve donated blood and food supplies for our American war heroes during the massive war between liberty and tyranny. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. We must be honest with each other and with ourselves. 
Too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. My name's Joe Biden. I keep forgetting I'm president. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. It is indeed a distinct honor and pleasure uh, today to welcome to the show a first-time guest, uh, someone that you may very well be familiar with already. He is an award-winning filmmaker who's been telling the stories of our open border for years now, and at this point, he, along with uh, Nick Searcy, who I'm sure you also recognize, they're telling the truth about January 6th in a great new documentary uh, titled Capital Punishment. First and foremost, uh, Chris, thank you so much for being with us today, and how are you doing? Well, Tim, I tell you what, every day is Christmas. Every day. You know, I woke up today, it's not raining, nobody's shooting at me. It's a good day. Okay. Yeah, if only everybody could say that every day. That's uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, something else. All right, um, Obviously, you have been uh, telling stories through film for a long time now. Uh, That takes a special gift. Uh, But the particular story that you are telling now in Capital Punishment, uh, it's one that is far from popular with the (laughs) narrative being presented by the mainstream legacy media and, of course, Uh, a certain group of politicians uh, before – Putting this together, what was it that made you decide that you were willing to uh, step out on this adventure and bring uh, these stories? Well, Tim, let me tell you something. When you say not popular, man, you're not kidding. I tell you what, most of my films or the the films that I've uh, entered into film festivals, they win a bunch of awards. It's a lot of fun. This film has been turned down by every film festival I uh, entered it in, and Instead of getting an award, I, I got a visit from the FBI. So it's it's been um, it's been eye opening to say the least. Um, so the reason I made this movie, uh, I was called to be in D.C. and I had the same tugging on my heart that I did when I first went to the border in 2005, and the same I felt when I when I had to be in Honduras when they were trying to do a code revolution down there. 
And I felt this too. And I just, I didn't know I was going to make a movie. We just wanted to, I wanted to be there and experience it with my family, my wife, and my daughter. But I knew we had to document it, you know, just for history's sake. And I called up my buddy, Nick Searcy. We, we've done a bunch of projects together. Our last movie, God Shed His Grace on Me, is, is pretty darn neat. And um, so we went there two days. We decided two days before we went there. And um, it was just an incredible day. I mean, oh, my gosh, it was there was there was upwards of two million people there. They don't show you that in mainstream media, but we were there. It was just so people were so happy. It was just it was and the most polite. It was so crowded down by where the president was speaking before you went in there. If you didn't have your camera way up above your head, you couldn't get your arms up because people were packed in so tight. And I ran into people that I hadn't seen in years. I ran into my friend Victoria Jackson. She left Hollywood, moved to Tennessee. Um, we were just running into people that was just so friendly. And we sat and listened to the president. The president came, he, he started speaking an hour later. And then he spoke for an hour and he started repeating himself. And we were all just really, really cold. And he said, let's peacefully, you know, march to the Capitol. So we, we did that. But as we're peacefully marching to the Capitol, about, about halfway down, I, I looked to my wife and I said, honey, I've, I've got a bad feeling. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, look around you. Where's CNN? Where's Fox News? I said, usually, it, when I've been to many of these events in D.C., usually you're tripping over the, the, the news crews trying to cover the event. I said, there's nobody here. That's bad. That tells me that the images of grandmothers and, and grandkids and people peacefully protesting of all sizes, all colors, and, and, and praying and singing songs, that that's not the images they want to tell a narrative about this event. And I got a bad feeling something's going to happen at the end of the event, and I bet that's where all the cameras are. Just then, my buddy Nick calls me. He's ahead of us. He's at the Capitol building. And he said, Chris, I just saw the Capitol Police move the bicycle barriers. They're letting people into the Capitol building. And I just got punched in the gut. And I looked at my wife and the hair stood up my arms. I said, honey, someone's going to die today. Because it was, it, it was the same strategy, the same modus operandi I saw in Honduras when they stormed the, uh, when they went down to the, uh, the, the airport, Dugusagalpa. And there was a small but aggressive group that led and charged. And there was violence and a guy got killed and it changed the whole course of their discussion. And that's exactly what we saw happen with Ashley Babbitt two and a half hours later. So Nick and I, that night, when we had to be in the, back in our house by 6 because there was a curfew, and we watched the news and what they were reporting, we're like, man, that's not what we saw. I mean, that might be a couple hundred knuckleheads over here, but that's not what we saw the rest of the day. And a few weeks later, we were screening our movie Godshed, and um, somebody said, what would you do for a sequel? And I said, January 6th is the day in infamy. I said, everything I'm telling you is a lie. And they said, what do you mean by that? I said, this was an orchestrated event. This was a captured operation. This was a colored revolution. This was a coup on the United States of America. And they're like, you can prove that? I'm like, absolutely. I saw it happen right in front of me. So we got the opportunity to make the film. And this film was just pretty much earth shattering. I mean, I, stuff was going on during this during the event and afterwards the way people have been treated by our department of justice and the fbi that is simply third world um third world and i could go into more detail give examples it's just it's 
it's my father was was a law enforcement officer. He was a veteran, and he had graduated from the FBI, 109th session, Quantico, Virginia. Uh, it's 1978. I was a 14 year old kid. We're so proud to see him him graduate. And I think if he were alive today to see what's happened to this country, to see what's happened to the bureau that he loved, that he respected, I think it would just break his heart. Yeah, yeah he's not the only one. Uh, unfortunately, that's where we're at. We have seen the Justice Department weaponized. Uh, we we are seeing anything that is not popular democratic policy uh, being treated as if it's criminal. Uh, obviously, a large group of political operatives that are uh, very leftist, very anti-Constitution, uh, are pinning still a lot of their narrative on this uh, January 6th narrative, claiming that uh, these were insurrectionists. And I, I love the fact that you've got a lot of footage. Uh, in fact, one of the things that really stuck out to me in, in watching the trailer was the fact that you've got footage of Ashley Babbitt speaking beforehand, and you guys did some really good follow-up talking uh, to her husband afterwards. And, you know, the one thing that is so impactful in the uh, trailer is the fact that there are more and more people every day recognizing that we are targets because we believe in the Constitution. And Well, go, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you're on a roll. Keep going. That's Keep going, sir. Oh, well, I was just going to say, uh, as these people wake up, there was this growing frustration, and it almost feels like on a regular basis when, when we see Antifa being encouraged and, and Black Lives Matter rioters being encouraged and offered to have bail made, and yet grandmas are being kept locked up for months without adequate uh, care, without what we would generally consider to be a regular uh, compassionate interment that uh, every uh, prisoner currently in the, the jail system is expected to be given. Uh, it really is a case where we have entered third world banana republic territory, and obviously that makes this movie a threat. Well, you're 100% right, Tim. Um, this is political warfare. Um, we made the film. It came out. Actually, it came out last Thanksgiving and it came out in the first couple of weeks. We got these amazing articles written about it. It started taking off like blockbusters. And all of a sudden, boom, it, 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 the, the, the hammer just came down. The algorithms, you, you would, you would, people would text each other and say, you got to watch this movie. It's so amazing. Boom. They would, the post would disappear. They do it again. Their accounts would get shut off. I, I was the I was the chief content creator at Breitbart for over three years. We faced the algorithms every day. I've never seen anything like what we had here. Western Journal um, and his glory that were distributing the film, their IT guys were getting hacked and getting hit by stuff. They said we've never seen this complicated, this heavy attacks ever, and we couldn't figure out why because we just told the truth about that day, and we didn't understand. You know, well, we did understand because we knew it was dangerous because whenever you tell the truth, the truth can never stand up to a lie. And I mean, I'm sorry, a lie can never stand up to the truth. And the truth is never afraid of a lie. So we knew we, we had that. We had God on our side. We had truth on our side. What we didn't know is that they were going to keep going after Trump and, you know, nine months later, break in, you know, raid his home. And we happen to have made the film that that vindicates and exonerates the president way before we ever knew he was going to be charged. 
So yes, this is this is a very dangerous film, and and this this is sad, but but ironic. And I think God has a big sense of humor. Our opening scene in the film is Nick being questioned by Congress in an actual Congress hearing room in the Capitol. That's where we filmed it. Um, being asked about why he's, he's, he was a violent racist insurrectionist and <laughs> Nick answers back and we cut it creatively so that one of the people that's, um, that's interrogating him is Liz Cheney. And it was a parody and it's fun. It's serious, but it's actually really funny. Who could have guessed that six months later, Liz Cheney would actually be on a real January 6th congressional hearing committee and be actually more absurd than she was in our parody of her that we put in the movie. That's that's when things are really just upside down. Yeah. You know, actually, you are probably the third person I've spoken to in the last two weeks that has specifically talked about being upside down, uh, that exact phrasing. Uh, and I don't think uh, I don't think there's a better description, though. We really are being told by people that are trying to destroy the republic, that we're the threat to democracy. And it's just astounding. You you had a visit from the FBI yourself, right? Yes, sir. Hold that thought. We'll come back to it. Let me, what you just said about the Constitution, because that's addressed in our film. So there's a fella, there's two guys in our movie that that have had their lives turned upside down. They've been charged with insurrection, conspiracy, criminal trespassing. They never went in the Capitol building. Antonio Martinez and Derek Kinison, Southern California. Um, when the FBI raided Derek's house in the garage, they found a carton of pocket constitutions. They took it down off the shelf. They spread out the constitutions and filmed it and, and shot pictures of it like they just discovered a kilo of cocaine. It's it's like the Constitution is a weapon against this current administration. Now, in our film, you've got two retired generals. You've got General Jerry Boykin, who started Delta, one of the founding members of Delta Force. You've got General Flynn, who used to be our top intelligence officer in this country. You've got uh, retired, um, well, retired and active three-letter guys. You've got a professor from the Naval War College, and they break down what political warfare is, what a color revolution is, how it just happened here, and how January 6th was years in the making. And it explains it on a level that, that connects the dots for everybody, because in a color revolution, you have to have a disputed election. You have to have two sides, extremely polar opposite. They clash, they cause violence. Everybody's looking over here. And while that's happening, um, a core, the, the bad guys take power and they seize the government. We've seen that happen in Venezuela. We actually had a hand of it when they did it. And then the Obama administration in Egypt that brought in the Muslim Brotherhood and the Morsi government. And most recently we saw it in 2014 in the bloody revolution in Ukraine. And one of the things, if we ever do have real January 6th hearings, one of the things I would advocate that somebody way above my pay grade does is Look and see some of the similar players that were involved in the bloody revolution in Ukraine that were also involved in setting up January 6th. And I think I think that's that's a road that's very important to be looked down. Um, there were multiple. Everybody talks about Ray Epps and Ray Epps is in the movie. But I'm telling you, there were many Ray Epps there that day. There were operations upon operations going on. There was the, the knuckleheads that got caught up in the stampede. Um, then there was the knuckleheads. It, it, as Alinsky and um, 
and Stalin both said, in any revolution, you, you need an army of useful idiots. Well, they were there for the cause, dressed, you know, Antifa and BLM, dressed as MAGA guys. But then you have the paid operatives, and then you have real professionals in there. I mean, there were there were serious consultant, contractor, military types doing stuff that day. Now, whether they were good guys doing stuff or bad, good guys that were hired by the bad guys, I don't know. But I'm telling you, there was operations upon operations were going on that day. And um, that, that's very, very disturbing. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that really uh, stands out here is to the extent that all these things were happening, uh, we're seeing an equal push as if if you notice anything that was just slightly off kilter. And, and how could you not if you were there uh, as an observer that was a few hundred miles away like I was, there was a lot that felt off kilter. But if we just notice enough to question. First thing, we're instantly treated like we too are violent extremists. And I know you've been on the receiving end of that, but in the process of putting this film together, did you still, after kind of piecing stuff and uh, getting your footage in, in the order that you felt like you were ready to present it, is there still something that you came away just still in total surprise. I mean, you, you had the footage, you knew what you were doing, but then seeing the finished product, was there something that still just really took you aback where you realized these are actually way more dangerous times than we realize? Yeah, I think what really took me aback, and this is the same this is the same thing I went through when I made Border in 2005. When I made Border in 2005, I naively thought that if I showed the horror that was happening on these ranches, the women being raped, um, the cartels against Americans, and, and how horrible it was, and the pain and suffering, if I just showed the government and showed the president that they would fix it. And I, I screened border in 2007 for the Senate and for the House, and instead I got attacked. And I'm, the, I'm having deja vu here, because when we made this movie, the biggest thing, it, it, it's, it's overwhelming to see the corruption and the rule of law that's being thrown out the window and, and the people that believe the Constitution being made the enemy, the Constitution being trampled on. But the biggest thing I think, you know, I'm sitting here speaking to you, is it, it's so obviously fake by anyone. You know, you don't even have to spend hundreds of hours going over the footage like I did or like my editors did. Um, or you didn't even have to be there seeing it. it. It's just, it's so obviously fake. You think there's no way they could keep pushing this narrative, but then you realize, oh my gosh, they are pushing it. They're doubling down on it. They're going to ride it all the way to the 2022 midterm elections, maybe 2024. If they, if they string out, you know, going after the president, it's so obviously fake, but yet this is the story they wrote. This is the agenda they did and they're pushing it so hard. And you can't really blame them. I mean, it worked in Egypt. They got Morsi in. It worked in Ukraine. They got the Azov fellas in. So I'm sure they expected it would work here, but it's not. I mean, I was very heartened. I don't know if it was MSNBC or I just saw a clip this morning. I'm sorry, I've been on the border the last last 10 days. So I'm, I just literally walked in the door half an hour ago. But I saw some clip, I think it was this morning or yesterday. They were doing a panel. Maybe it was CNN, I don't remember. And they brought up the January 6th um, and they, they tried to paint it as an insurrection and a reason why people shouldn't follow Trump. And the panel was so articulate and so educated and called the uh, commentator out where she was wrong. She's like, oh, you know, 
four people were killed that day and this and somebody said no actually the only person that was murdered that day was Ashley Babbitt and she says no there was a Capitol Police officer and the person said no that was Officer Sicknick and he died of a stroke or heart attack the next day and I was just like and they were so measured in their responses it just made me feel so proud I was like yes they're not fooling all the people. People are, are educating themselves. They're paying attention. I mean, and when I when I say things are so obviously fake, the mainstream media and the FBI pushed the narrative that Officer Brian Sicknick was bludgeoned to death with a fire extinguisher on the steps of the Capitol building. They knew within hours of his death that that didn't happen. They also knew that he didn't die that day. He died the next day. And then going through all the footage, I see pre-placed fire extinguishers on the steps of the Capitol, just like the bricks at the BLM rallies. I'm like, wait, I've going to the Capitol for, for 30 years. I've never seen extinguishers laid out like that. In fact, standard police enforcement um, SOP is you go through and you remove anything that can be used as a weapon. So it's so obviously fake that you have to say, why would the Department of Justice, why would the, the, the mainstream media for three months run with an obviously fake account of this police officer's death? And then they'll go to, well, three other officers have died since then. Yeah, they died of suicide. Maybe you should be investigating that. Three, four different Capitol Police officers, I'm not sure what the number is, but it's at least three, it might be four, have died of suicide. I don't see anybody investigating that. And then you go to, you, you see the FBI pushing this false narrative for three months, then go to the foot, go to the footage and you see in the movie, Christopher Ray testifies in front of Congress, tells the entire United States of America that he saw no evidence of, of anarchy, anarchist, BLM, Antifa-type activity that, there that day. Now, this is the man that is the head of the most powerful law enforcement agency on the planet. So for him to tell you that there was no evidence there, it should raise big concerns because we saw them there dressed as us. I filmed them. You see them you see them changing from black block into MAGA gear, and the same people who are changing clothes I ran into about a minute and a half later. They tried to get us to attack the Capitol Police, to do violence to the Capitol Police. We said no. We called them out. We said, you're fake MAGA. They ran away. They had a quarterback going around because these guys go in squads, these Antifa dudes. He had a, a earpiece in his ear. He was definitely their coordinator, their handler. And I walked up to an FBI agent that was on the ground, he and his partner. And I was there with my wife, my daughter. I said, hey, we just had, there, there's bad guys in here. Do you want us to point them out? He's like, no, we're good. I'm like, they just want us to attack the Capitol Police. Can, do you want to take a report? No, we're good. Huh. And at the time, I just thought, I just thought, well, I guess they're just really busy. But, and, and, or, they, or it was just so obvious to me that there were bad guys doing that, people infiltrating the crowd, that they must already know, and that's why he wasn't going to do anything. But then when I see Christopher Ray testify before Congress, he's either the most ineffective, blind head of the FBI director we've ever had, or he's purposely lying to the American people. And that should scare the crap out of everybody. And if the FBI director is in on it, how deep does this go? And like I said, it's not hard to find. These are just the facts as they are in front. You know, like I said, we everybody, I, I, I had military buddies there that day. I had some three-letter buddies of mine there that day. I'm like, oh, there's there's Antifa, there's BLM, there's one, there's two, because they were, they were agent provocateurs. They were getting the crowd riled up. They were trying to steer the, the, the crowd like, like you would herd cows in a stampede. We all saw that. We 
and, and seeing it back in the footage, going over it later, it was even more obvious. John L. Sullivan, John L. Excuse me, John Sullivan, BLM leader, um, rabid anti-Trumper. Um, he's protested carrying A15, AR15s in the streets and, and going around in black block. Um, he filmed himself. He and Jade Sackett, they filmed themselves bragging in the Capitol that they pulled it off. They pulled it off. Oh, and he just happened to be there where Ashley Babbitt was killed. This thing smells to high heck. It doesn't pass the smell test of any investigators I know from the local police level to military intelligence guys, the three-letter guys. It's it's such an obvious setup. Um, There's a fellow in the movie, Mark Ibrahim. Now, Mark is is former military, former military intelligence. Uh, He was a DEA agent at the time. And he had a buddy with him, Jorge. And Jorge, you know, at one point, he's like, hey, let's take a picture of your gun. He's like, what? And so they're just joking around. So Mark opens his, his jacket and Jorge takes a picture of his gun. Then Jorge pushes him really hard to go into the Capitol building. Got to go into the Capitol building. And, and, and Mark didn't do it. And thank goodness he didn't. Because if he would have take, done that, then they could have said they took weapons in the Capitol building. Even though he's a DA agent, he's licensed to carry his weapon. That would have that would have really amped up the narrative. Well, it turns out Jorge that day and in the movie, you'll see, was texting with his FBI handler from the Capitol. Wow. And it turns out Jorge was also at the Bundy Ranch. And uh, I, I spoke to him on the phone. I interviewed him for the movie. Seems like a very nice guy. Um, he's in Colombia now, so he can't be called to testify. Hmm. But he's also he's according to mark because mark met him over in iraq and he said he's a he's a hero he's he's been awarded i believe the bronze star but he's also been through a lot a lot of trauma and he thinks he's being used and abused by the intelligence agencies agencies to be work continue to be working as an operative but this is the stuff we ran into this is the stuff that's actually happening this is the stuff that's in the movie and that's probably why i can't buy advertising on fox news newsmax can't get into theaters, not on a cable channel anywhere. You know, it's just on our little websites that that seem to get choked down pretty darn easy. And uh, we just fight off the attacks the best we can. And praise the Lord that, that fellows like you give us a platform to be able to tell people about this movie. Because, I mean, if 70 million people saw this movie, the country had been a completely different direction. But even if few, even only a million people or two million people saw this movie, it would it would change the entire narrative it would change the direction of 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 what the masses are thinking where they're going because at the end of the day knowledge is power and right now we are engaged in the greatest information war the planet has ever seen january 6th was one big psyop and it was performed and executed with military precision All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take a break right there. Uh, there is still about 10 plus minutes of the uh, conversation to go. But we're getting really close to the end of the first hour. So, if I can make sure I'm hitting all my buttons correctly, which right now I don't seem to be doing quite right, uh, what we'll do is we'll carry that over into the next hour. And I, for the 
people listening to the podcast, I would love to just play it through. But for the people that are listening on WCET uh, FM in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and for the folks that are listening on uh, the lastfrequency.com, I know it's helpful to still have that little bit of an hour break uh, so that, you know, they can put in all the promotional stuff that they need to and, you know, uh, the crazy Cajun, uh, a.k.a. Doug, uh, doesn't like for me to not give him that perfect opportunity. So, uh, out of respect for Doug, who does a lot of hard work, we're going to do exactly that. Uh, so, the remainder of my conversation with Chris will uh, start at the very top of the uh, second hour. Not going to do the reset the way we normally do with the intro and what have you. Just going to play some tunage here in a couple of uh, minutes of little uh, Matt Fitzgibbons action. And then once we're starting, we'll go right back into the remainder of that conversation. And then I got a few more topics I want to get to uh, before today's program is over. So you guys uh, just hang loose where you're at and uh, don't go anywhere. If you're listening on the podcast, great. Uh, just listen right through. And if you're listening on the radio station, uh, fortunately now, uh, with WCET being the only remaining uh, station that's airing the uh, the rebroadcast, that means you get the full two hours experience. So I uh, don't have to worry about uh, doing the breakup except just to make sure there's plenty of opportunity for the appropriate break. Now, with that having been said, I do want to uh, to impose upon you what a great conversation this has been. And I would like to remind you, if you are listening to the show description, by all means, if you're listening to the podcast, by all means, go to the show description and follow the link and watch this movie. In the meanwhile, uh, stay where, where you're at. Now we'll be back starting in the next hour. From a blue state clan Taught to praise the little man Told that unions saved the working class He was raised a red state son To love the flag and own a gun Warned about the greed within the mass They met beneath the moonlit sky A college party drunk and high And when they had degrees They said their vows couldn't say when, he couldn't say how, he couldn't say why, she was different in his eyes. They built careers and had a kid, tried to live like their parents did, but both their parties taxed them close to death. Learned to hate the public schools Watch TV making fools While trial lawyers looted what was left She, she couldn't say when She couldn't say how She couldn't say why He was different in her eyes Saw them years ago A happy little cabin in the west they homeschooled on their farm, making so much more from C. 
so much less They can say when, they can say how, and they can say why, they're different in your eyes. They're different in your eyes. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for uh, being here for the first hour of Tapping to the Truth. And uh, hello and welcome to the second hour of today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Uh, glad to have you here along for the ride. I am, of course, your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you from historic Roan County, Tennessee. Now, if you are listening on WCET Radio, or maybe you're just now tuning in at the last frequency, then maybe you didn't hear the first hour. If that's the case, you are missing out on a great conversation that I'm having with Chris Bergard. He is the director of a documentary about January 6th. It is called Capital Punishment. Uh, it's been out for over a year, but it is one of the most crushed uh, movies that has ever been made. They have definitely done everything in their power to try and keep you from being able to see this. If you missed the first hour, please come find the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and listen to that first part of this conversation. I will now begin the remainder of my conversation with Chris Brugard. Do not do not miss this, and then we will continue. Well, I, I do know I've, I've got a, a small handful of folks uh, that I interact with on the regular. A few of them I would uh, deign to call friends, although uh, I think for their own uh, protection, I probably shouldn't acknowledge that publicly for their benefit. Uh, uh, they were there, too, and uh, to a person uh especially the ones that were there with family who thought they were going to be witnessing a great historic event. Uh, they all talked about the same kind of uh, feeling in the air, recognizing bad people in the crowd and that bad things were, were going to happen. And all of them kind of uh, excused themselves. They got back to their hotel rooms. They got away from it. Uh, so uh, I do greatly appreciate the fact that, uh, you guys did what you did in getting the footage, talking, uh, being a part of this, recognizing it for what it is. And, uh, you know, I hate that uh, we have to start winding this down because I've enjoyed hearing your uh, your uh, story of what happened there. And I'm going to enjoy watching the movie even more. Uh, before I ask you a final question, though, I want to give you an opportunity. Please tell everybody uh, what that website is and if you are even still allowed on social media, because I, I know they've got to be cracking down on you. If you are still inviting folks to follow you, throw out any handles you want to share, too. <laughs> So you can get the movie at hisglory.tv, hisglory.tv. 
You can you can stream it from there. You can buy certificates for your friends to stream it. You can buy the DVD at hisglory.tv. And um, as far as social media, Nick's really big. Nick Searcy, you probably know him. Justified, fried green tomatoes, color of water. He's, he's a pretty darn big star. Um, Nick, you can follow Nick on Twitter at yes Nick Searcy. I'm on Facebook. I have other accounts, but quite frankly, I'm so shadow banned. It doesn't really. It's I go online to watch what other people are saying, but it, I doesn't it doesn't do much good for me to post anything. When I was at Breitbart, we could create a video that would get seven to eight million views, and the next day we do the sequel and get thirty thousand. We're like, okay, we tripped the algorithm. What what is it that made this happen? They've got me so hammered down. My comms are just sporadic at best. Well, fair enough. I certainly uh, have the same thing going on. Uh, uh, as far as being shadow banned, the only place uh, that I don't have to worry about that is over at True Social and uh, Parlor, and uh, those places. You know, we're still trying to build audiences there. They're not as widely accepted, but uh, I, again, like I said, I really appreciate everything you're doing. Do you have a, another project that you're working on though that maybe you <laughs> could uh, give us a clue about? Because it's not like there's a shortage of material. <laughs> So that's funny. Um, well, people have been wanted us to do a sequel on this. And if we did do a sequel, it would start out with, we have additional footage. You mentioned Ashley and Aaron's become a good friend. Um, her story is heartbreaking in the movie. An interesting thing in the movie, I know you got to wind down. Interesting thing is when liberals see this movie and progressives, they don't, a lot of them don't cry when Ashley dies, but when her dog dies, then they cry. And when they cry, it drops the scales from their eyes. And they're like, oh, my God, if they're lying to me about this, what are they lying? What else are they lying to me about? So we now have footage of Ashley from a take from a different angle that you see before the whole crowd gets to that alcove. She's screaming at the police there and, and asking them to get more guys, to bring more resources because there's a big crowd behind her. Now, remember, she was seven years active military. Her MOS, she was uh, she was military police. She got injured horribly in in Iraq. And then she was seven years in the guard as military police. So she knew operating procedure. We have footage of her. Thank you to Taylor Hansen. We have footage of her grabbing this guy, Zach Allum, who is the lead guy there doing the violence. He had the, he had the soldier's helmet. He was banging against the glass, trying to break the glass. Tall guy, dark hair, Buddy Holly glasses. She grabs him. He pulls away. She gives him a left hook to the face, hits him hard enough to knock his glasses off. Just seconds, then they, you hear gun, gun yelled, and then she goes out the window. So this woman went down fighting for her country. She went down trying to end the violence. And what they've done to her and tried to smear her reputation, her legacy needs to be turned around. That family, Aaron and her mom, Mickey, are owed a huge apology by the mainstream media and the U.S. government. Um, that, that, so anyway, so if I did a sequel, it would start with that. Am I doing another project? Yes. I'm working with Tom Homan, who is the ICE director under President Trump. Uh, I, they pulled me out of retirement to go back to the border and bring the border to living rooms across America so they can really see what's going on and understand the truth about the border. Um, we are premiering the first episode. It's called Death, uh, Death County and the River of Broken Dreams. And we're premiering it November 1st at Mar-a-Lago. 
So after we premiere it there, it's going to be out, and we're going to get it out for free to people all across the country. Um, I'd be happy to send you a copy. You can download it. You can do whatever you want with it. And we're going to keep this series going for the next two years so that people can actually see what's happening on, on the border, actually see why, for the first time in history, an incoming administration came in, and within hours, they unsecured the border. They went backwards on purpose. And these policies are killing people. Uh, Americans and foreigners in record numbers. You, you'll see that all in the first episode. So Defend the Borders name that series. And uh, if, if, if the last admitted, if this administration didn't like my last movie, I don't think they're going to be too thrilled about this one either. <laughs> well, you know, at this point, uh, if you're going to tell any kind of truth about them, they're probably not going to be happy because there's not really anything good that's come from this administration. Uh <laughs> I, I hope we I hope we pray to him because I want to make a point. I'm, I'm not I am not demonizing the entire FBI. Right. You, I was quite clear on Christopher Ray, but I also know that there are patriotic, good American agents in 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 the bureau. In fact, the the lead agent um, who was investigating me was extremely professional, extremely courteous, and he was obviously just doing his job on orders from Washington. And when we got done with our exchange between him and my legal team and myself, um, he said thank. He was very much thank you very much. I'm sending my results back to Washington, and he was a, he was a he was a he was a, a very good professional. And I know there's good people in, in that agency in that bureau. I mean, like your special agent field from Florida. They took him off a pedophile task force to go after J Sixers. And he stood and he said, took whistleblower status, said, no, this isn't right. This is against the Constitution. I can't do that. They jumped on him. And then 30 other FBI agents wrote affidavits saying, no, he's doing the right thing. So I want America to know that the institution is clearly, clearly working on political bends and is a part of everything that's going on. But there are, and if any good FBI agents or hearing me say this or seeing the movie, please stand up. I've, I've had people, Pete Santilli from, from Cincinnati, Ohio, wants to take the movie and put it on, on jumbotrons and park it outside FBI headquarters or field, head, field um, offices across the country to show the FBI the truth of what happened there because he doesn't believe they've been told the truth. And I think he might be right. I mean, I didn't, if you're in the FBI and you want to see this movie, get a hold of us. We'll send you a free copy. Um, I'll do it for my dad. All right. Well, Chris, I, I can't even begin to express how much gratitude I have for you and Nick uh, putting this together and trying to get it out there. And uh, your dedication uh, to trying to get truth in front of the eyes and, and into the minds of people that in most cases simply haven't been exposed to it, especially back when you were first starting on the border. I, I remember thinking and once we started realizing how bad it was it's like if every american understood even to the one-tenth of how bad it really is that everyone would demand something be done immediately but instead of the mainstream legacy media bringing this truth we saw a concerted effort to squash it and the name calling of bigots and racists began for anybody who even questioned it so again Thank you so much for standing up, telling the truth, and continuing to do so, because a lot of people under the pressure you've been put under since this would have folded. So thank you for standing up. 
Well, thank you for saying that. I wish my wife and daughter were here for, for here to hear you say that. Please, please pray for my family and just keep us lifted up and uh, keep keep praying for the country. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that of course is Mr. Chris Bergard. He is a uh, filmmaker. And more importantly, he is a patriotic American who's trying to do the hard work that a lot of people who don the uh, title of journalist refuse to do. Uh, go check out Capital Punishment and uh, be looking out for the new uh, Defend the Border series upcoming. Uh, again, God bless, sir, and thank you for everything you do. God bless. All right, so that was the uh, full-length conversation uh, with Chris Brigard. Uh, and again, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to go and watch this documentary, uh, even if all you do is check out the trailer to start with. It, even there, it's very impactful. And I, I just... I fear for uh, Chris and his family, and to a, a relatively larger extent, I, I fear for uh, Nick Cersei as well, uh, because he's become very unapologetic about his conservative values. He's stepped up and made it clear that he's willing to work with not just about anybody, especially uh, with the uh, relatively recent movie that he made with Gina Carano over at the Daily Wire Western, where he did a, a fantastic job being uh, the bad guy. If you haven't seen it, uh, you do have to sign up and become a member at the Daily Wire. But it is a great movie, too. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I realize I don't think I've ever seen Nick in anything where he wasn't good. But between Nick and Chris, these guys are in the public eye enough that maybe that will help protect them in general. But we are living in a point in time where our government has become, well, it's become a banana republic. We're living in a third world scenario right now where truth and justice in the American way is a punchline. When we are talking about what it takes to be free, to experience liberty, all that is in danger. Again, I, I keep circling back around to all the things that we're seeing going on right now, and I can't help but but be concerned about my fellow truth-tellers. I mean, I probably should be more concerned uh, about myself and my family because of how how bad things are getting. And, and maybe it's because I still have that mindset of, well, you know, I'm I'm not that big of a deal. Uh, all these other folks are the ones that are in harm's way. Maybe, maybe I should be more concerned too. Because I see these folks and they're, they're standing up. They're, they're not backing down. And again, we've seen people thrown in jail for less. People that are standing up for the lives of pre-born baby humans. Well, uh, you're facing 11 years in jail because uh, we're going to say that you were blocking a clinic. You were depriving people of care. We see TikTok people that are 
claiming to be women and really only acting like a caricature of a woman and uh, getting to go visit with Joe Biden and getting Joe Biden to say that, oh, I, I think it's just morally and legally wrong that anybody uh, can try to stop transgender people from having gender-affirming care, uh, which is code for surgical mutilations and chemical castration. That is what is occurring in those situations. And so Joe Biden has literally doubled down on that position. And it's important to remember that the question was asked, do you think that states should be allowed? When, point of fact, no state is trying to stop an adult from pursuing whatever surgical or medical treatments, I, that's not even the right word, but uh, procedures, uh, <laughs> whatever they want to pursue as an adult, no state's trying to stop them. States are trying to protect children, trying to say minors do not get to do that. There are states, my home state of Tennessee being one of them, that are legitimately looking hard to try and put an end to that type of behavior. It needs to be ended. It, it, there is no moral grounds for which you can mutilate these children. Oh, but, you know, Joe Biden's going to say what Joe Biden's going to say, right? January 6th has become such an important part of the narrative for these folks. And that they just have to continue to ignore reality. We're living in a time where Hillary Clinton is already, already looking to try to establish the fact that if they lose in 2024, it's because of the right-wing extremists utilize their plan to steal the election. We got the grade card, the national grade card. And, you know, we were looking at how how good or how poorly we did in education and all the scores are in and the leftists are having such a hard time with acknowledging that uh, the blue states, the lockdown states, the places that didn't want to open the schools back up, even though now technically they're claiming that uh, uh, Trump uh, shut down all the schools and that uh, uh, Biden was desperately trying to safely reopen them. I mean, if I hear that again, I think I may scream. I'll try not to do it directly into the microphone. They're, they're trying to cover. They're trying to directly lie. But it, it's, not like, it's not like the COVID lockdown when it came to education was even the terrible thing. It, what it was is it just exacerbated something that was already happening. In fact... As the nation's test scores and grades plummeted all across the country, the entire educational policies in the United States, they're being called into question right now. But people are recognizing the fact that our educational system was already failing the children. It's just with this taking place from home, parents were finally getting to see what was passing as education. Radical gender theory critical race theory, the, the 
every type of tolerance flag on the planet, except for, well, there's no tolerance for the Christian flag. Oh, there's no tolerance for the uh, stars and stripes. In fact, there's probably more tolerance for the stars and bars than for the stars and stripes. Anyway, the National Assessment of Education Progress, uh, the annual testing, the NAEP, that you've heard so many other commentators talking about already, it revealed that uh, fourth and eighth graders' scores in math declined during the pandemic. Fourth graders saw a five-point drop since 2019. Eighth graders' math scores went down by eight points. HCT college admission scores also went down this year. But that drop's been happening for five years in a row now. Uh, Nicholas uh, Gordano, Nicholas, a professor of political science at Suffolk Community College in New York, and a higher education fellow with the Leadership Institute's Campus Reform. He was speaking to the Daily Wire, and he said that education's been failing students for quite a while now, saying, quote, the education system has collapsed, and it's been that way for a long time. I think that the bigger story is that even as scores have been falling for five years in a row, the standards at the same time have been dropping as well. Now, he said that, adding that tests are easier today than they used to be, but students are still getting worse grades. So the standards are being dropped and the kids are failing to adequately meet these lowered expectations. You want to tell me that's not a direct result of the education system itself? I mean, how could it not be? Now, Nicholas continued by saying that, quote, the education system is not really based on education anymore. It's based on the idea of indoctrination and activism. And we see these failures. The proficiency ratings within the United States continue to decline as students are dropping at the same time. Not students, but as standards are dropping at the same time. I apologize. We see these failures. The proficiency ratings within the United States continue to decline as standards are dropping at the same time. Gordano pointed out that the downward trend was happening before the pandemic, but as we all could just simply ascertain without much effort, the pandemic just made it worse. Back to uh, quoting Giordano, uh, Harvard did a study showing that students, if they returned to school for the 2020 and the 2021 school year, they were still 20% behind where they should be. If they still did remote learning throughout the 2020-2021 school year, they were 50% behind where they should be. We've created a system where we're just cycling students through. It's like a mill where they just get promoted to the next grade, even though they can't read or write or do mathematics at the grade level that they're supposed to be in. One of the scariest things to know is that 12th graders, that 12th grade textbooks 
and 11th grade textbooks are based on 7th grade reading level. So when they bring up something like ACT and we're seeing the scores drop, well, perhaps it's because we're using 7th grade reading levels for the juniors that would be taking the ACT test. Now, he did say that education is one of the main issues in the 2022 midterms. Because, quoting now, because parents have become aware that schools have failed the students. He also said that uh, there are a lot of parents with bitterness and resentment who are being noticed. And he believes that they will show up to vote. Saying, quote, I think the Democrats have underestimated education as an issue thinking that it won't really affect them in the elections. Uh, Garadano also pointed out that the topic of education should be discussed more often, considering that no country survives when their education system is non-existent. And the United States, as the United States, we fell in worldwide rankings when it comes to K-12. And we're now seeing the university rankings fall as well for the last five years in the top 100 universities. So we're seeing a failure across the board in academia. Now, again, I'm going to point out that none of this is breaking news. None of this is anything that takes any of us by surprise. We've all seen it. It does not take a world-class psychic to be able to predict what happens here. When you start seeing the effort to indoctrinate that was so expertly applied at the collegiate level for so long, start making its way into the high schools, and then start making its way down to the junior highs, and then start making its way down into the grammar schools to the point that they now expect us to learn radical gender theory in first and second grades, kindergarten, if they'll allow it. When they want to have drag queen story hour for these children, which should much more appropriately and accurately be described as older men in women's lingerie wanting to spend time with your children hour, that, that it should tell you that the emphasis is in the wrong place. I mean, that's ultimately what should be most obvious, even to the folks that typically vote for the Democrats. The problem is, a lot of us who typically vote for both sides have had our heads stuck in the sand for way too long. Some of us because we just thought we didn't have time. Some of us because we just didn't want to know. It's like, okay, well, that might be happening, but I just don't want to know. I want to make believe like everything's okay so I can be happy in my own little bubble and I can pretend like these people that I pay to educate my children are actually taking good care of them and they're not trying to alienate them. They're not trying to confuse them. They're not trying to make them unhappy. I don't want to believe that they're trying to uh, teach critical race theory to eight-year-olds to the point that they have little girls going home and crying to their mommy saying, Mommy, am I an oppressor? 
Am I racist because I'm white? Am I a bad person because I'm white? Seven and eight-year-old children. That would be bad enough. That should be bad enough. That made a huge impact in the Virginia gubernatorial elections rather recently. And is still a much bigger issue for way more people than, oh, let's say the, the reversal of Roe v. Wade. Now, it had a lot of lefties pretty fired up right off the bat, but most of those folks were under the mistaken impression that by overturning Roe v. Wade, you were making abortion illegal everywhere. And they found out that just wasn't the case. So all those passionate people aren't quite as passionate as they were before. In fact, I think that has went a long way towards helping to open the eyes of some of these would-be uh, rabid supporters of the Democratic Party. These Democrats are looking to victimize our children. They're trying to pretend like that's the humane thing to do. What happened to education? I mean, we can we can look at the stats. We can make all the the lines and, and graphs and charts, and we can explain how it is that we had so much better results in the places where they opened the schools back up, where they told the teachers, uh, teachers union or not, sorry, you're coming back to work. We're doing the in-person thing. We can explain why that is. In fact, a lot of us were warning about the negative consequences before they went into the lockdowns. A lot of us were discussing all of the negative effects that were going to be a direct result when we were trying to discuss that evidently lost art of analysis. You know, of, of trying to do a cost-benefit analysis. What's it going to cost our children if we stay on lockdown? What are the benefits? What are the ne What's the pros and cons? Does anybody even do that anymore? You know, all right, I've got a tough decision coming up. The smart thing to do is let me make a list of all the good aspects. Let me make a list of all the bad aspects. And then let me ponder which ones mean the most to me. Is the cost going to be too great despite the good stuff? Or is the good stuff so overwhelming uh, over what little bit of bad is going to happen? How do I move forward? Does anybody even do that anymore? It does require critical thinking, right? We have lamented in depth here that critical thinking has become, well, a rarity, at least once you reach a certain age. Uh, if you are looking at anybody 35 or below, Critical thinking is certainly a lost skill. That's not to say that's the case with everyone in those age groups, but for a lot of you. And, and if you happen to be a 28-year-old person who does utilize critical thinking, you can't tell me you don't know a lot of folks that you came up with that's roughly your same age that wouldn't be able to critically think their way out of a wet paper bag. In fact, you probably know a few folks that are still buying into the mainstream legacy media narrative that Joe Biden is doing a great job. 
which in their minds he is, because their idea of a great job is finishing off the Constitution, finishing off the notion that the United States of America should be a constitutionally federated republic. We want democracy. We're trying to protect our democracy, direct democracy. Let the popular vote decide. We're a democracy after all. Stop those radical right-wing extremists that still want to talk about electoral college and protection of minority voices. And now, we're going to give lip service to minorities, but we don't really care about protecting them. Not really. Yeah, those folks. There's so much is so obvious now. So much is so obvious. And yet there's still people that are going to vote for whoever the Democrat puts forward. The Democrats are going to put whoever, whether they're renominating Joe Biden in 2024, whether Hillary weasels her way back in, whether uh, Newsom out in California decides to go, even though he said something about promising that if you reelect him as governor, he would serve the full term. I wouldn't count on that, boys and girls. He wouldn't be the first person to say, yes, I'll definitely do this. And then, well, you know, the people have spoken. They wanted me to run, so... I had to reconsider. Watch for it. Look for it. Let's take the mid-hour break before we uh, switch conversations any further. Uh, don't go anywhere. I will be right back after this very brief break. If you were born in the United States and care about this Republican and what may be left behind for your children and children's children, stay tuned. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee. By now, I'm sure you are aware that according to the L.A. Times, 40% of all workers in L.A. County, which amounts to 10.2 million people, are working and being paid under the table via cash, thus avoiding taxes, are mostly illegal border crossers, allowed to work without a green card. 95% of warrants for murder in Los Angeles are for illegal border crossers. 75% of thugs on the most wanted list in Los Angeles are illegal border crossers. Over two-thirds of all births in Los Angeles County are to illegal alien Mexicans on Medi-Cal, whose births were paid for by taxpayers. Nearly 35% of all inmates in California detention centers are Mexican nationals. It seems as if they are here illegally with the permission of many federal government officials. If this trend does not end very soon, our exceptional nation republic will be lost forever. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience Talk Show. To find out where, go to theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth.
constitutional grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds coffee display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards. Backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy, no right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican-controlled. Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our our priests, bishops and pastors refuse to face. That their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his cold war. And someday when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary because you see by then we will have been so weakened from within spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price or better red than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which evil must not advance. In the words of Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid.
You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better, make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say. Stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back, and now, after taking a longer-than-usual break, I'm going to be hard-pressed to try and sneak in uh, at least two stories that I think are important enough that we need to talk about right now, starting with the fact that America has exactly 25 days' worth of diesel supply left. And, of course, we have a response from the Biden administration. Well, uh, I'm not... I'm not kidding. It's not hyperbole. Okay. The United States literally has less than a month's supply of diesel fuel left, at least according to data from the Energy Information Administration. Even as the nation has a mere 25 days of inventory, making the lowest level since 2008, the four-week average of distillates supplied, well, a proxy for demand, rose to its highest seasonal level since 2007. This according to analysis from Bloomberg. So, the low supply and the high demand comes as Americans, many of whom are concerned about the state of the economy. Well, they're preparing to cast their ballots in the midterm elections that are upcoming. The National Economic Council Director Brian Deese he acknowledged to Bloomberg that inventories are unacceptably low and affirmed that all options are on the table. This essentially is for the White House to be able to address the problem. We, we're thinking about doing everything. In my East Tennessee hit country voice, wow, well, right there, we're planning on doing just about anything. We ain't taking anything off the table, yo. <laughs> Yo, I don't know where the yo came from. I, I think we're pretty clear on how the White House is going to address the problem. Once again, we're going to beg uh, the Venezuelans, because we've already begged the Saudis a couple of times to the point that the Saudis are so mad at them that they're letting the cat out of the bag in regards to stop asking us to do more so you can try to salvage your midterm elections. Now, least depleted supplies, well, they've occurred because of maintenance season at many refineries and, of course, pressures that are a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Now, a lot of people keep calling BS on that, but there is a, a small percentage of impact that this conflict between Russia and Ukraine is presenting. So, we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge it. We wouldn't exactly be intellectually honest if we didn't acknowledge that it was a factor. It's nowhere near the level of a factor that the current administration would like you to believe. They're trying to hide behind the fact that they've done everything to be as anti-energy uh, as possible. Now, of course, they want to pretend like, oh, we're for energy. It just needs to be green energy. Yeah, I don't think you're for that. I don't think you can find a better 
green energy source than nuclear, and I don't see you guys bending over backwards to make that happen either. Two ships carrying one million barrels of diesel are slated to arrive in New York, while the Pennsylvania refinery belonging to Delta Airlines is returning from seasonal maintenance. So there's some opportunity there to maybe affect part of what we're looking at. But inventories in the northeastern United States, where, of course, more residents burn fuel for heating than any other part of the country, well, they're at less than one-third of their usual seasonal levels. The diesel shortage comes after the Energy Information Administration said last week that the average household primarily using natural gas for space heating will likely spend $931 on power between October to March, marking a $206 increase since last year for the same time frame. With a greater energy uh, density than other liquid fuels, diesel, uh, diesel enables the, the majority of shipping activity in the United States. Whether you're talking about through semi-trucks or through trains, it also uh, makes up a large share of military and farming activity. The national average cost of diesel fuel right now sits at about $5.33 a gallon. This according to data from uh, AAA. So in response to soaring energy prices, which have continued to you know, add to overall inflationary pressures and actually was the triggering point I have asserted on multiple occasions. Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. announced back in March that his administration would release 180 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. A stock of emergency crude oil. Now, I'm saying this for the benefit of the lefties who've accidentally stumbled across the show. Emergency crude oil is intended, intended uh, to help manage, to help us guide ourselves through supply disruptions in the energy markets. So transactions for the final 15 million barrels will, will clear by the end of December. And this is in a desperate attempt to try and bring down fuel costs just a little. Just enough to try and convince those people that want to vote for Democrats that it's still okay to vote for Democrats. Guys, don't be fooled. It's a trick. Global crude oil supplies flows remains a challenge. I'm quoting here, by the way. They remain a challenge due in large part to the ongoing instability caused by Russia's actions in Ukraine. This from the White House uh, in a statement. The president is prepared to authorize significant additional sales in the coming months if conditions require. You really, you got an answer to this otherwise? I mean, there's a clear answer. We, we go back to the chant that we heard when, you know, the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, when Donald John Trump was a candidate for president. Uh, in fact, you heard it back when 
John McCain was a candidate for president, but mostly coming from his selected running mate at the time, certain Miss Palin. Uh, you even heard it before that is the solution to the energy crisis is drill, baby, drill. You want to transition to green energy? Then do it in a way that makes sense. Do not punish everyone on the planet first. But that's kind of the idea, though, isn't it? You just want to punish folks. Biden has also presided over a decrease in the Strategic Petroleum Reserve from 638 million barrels to 405 million barrels, marking the lowest level in decades. This, according to data from the Energy Information Administration, also. Through the release, though this relief is, is primarily meant to cut domestic energy prices, at least 5 million barrels have found their way to nations like India, the Netherlands, Italy, as well as Chinese petroleum companies with links to Hunter Biden. Ooh, and still can't get that reported by mainstream legacy media, can we? It's not the first time you've heard about it if you listen to this show on the regular, and I'm not the only uh, source that's trying to get that story to you. But it's not a common story. You're not hearing it from MSNBC. You're not hearing it from CNN. ABC News, CBS News, NBC. No, they're not telling you that story. They don't want you to know. They don't want you to think that whenever Joe Biden releases this oil, that it actually goes into the national markets first before it comes back. No, can't talk about that. Can't talk about how ridiculous the system is set up. No, 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 no. Just have to keep watching those gas prices go up so that we have to go electric with no real concern about how we continue to charge those electric vehicles once we have them. If we ever have them, because, you know, computer chip shortage and ridiculously high cost of these cars, uh, gotta be Nancy Pelosi rich to have them kind of deal. There's a reason why the Democrats are and should be nervous about the midterm elections and should be concerned about uh, 2024. Roughly 84% of Americans consider the economy to be the primary factor on their minds right now as they're getting ready to cast ballots. According to recent polls from ABC News and the Washington Post, there's no, no disputing the fact. Even their numbers represent pretty close to 84%. The old adage, it comes uh, to full focus again. It's the economy, stupid. And of course, you realize that's a quote, not me calling you stupid. All right. But here's where we are. You can keep emphasizing green energy all you want to. You can keep denying leases on federal land all you want to. Just, Just keep it up. Do not expect to get to maintain power and authority in our representative government. Don't do it. It's just not going to be available. The American people, even the people that typically vote Democrat, are going to recognize the pattern enough to know it's time to change course. We are talking about a government that literally has the State Department 
defending themselves after awarding Ecuador a grant of over 20,000 U.S. taxpayer dollars for a cultural center to host drag shows for LGBTQ communities in the South American country. Ecuador. Why are we sending Ecuador any U.S. taxpayer dollars for drag shows? The State Department defended themselves. They're saying that they're promoting diversity and inclusion efforts. Using taxpayer dollars to fund drag shows in South America. Efforts like this grant for the nonprofit Centro Ecuador Nono, blah, blah, blah. We'll just call it C-E-N for short. The center would use the money on three workshops, a two-minute documentary, and 12 drag theater performances that would be conducted between then and August 31st of 2023. Doubling down on the stance, the State, uh, State Department sent a spokesperson speaking to Fox News Digital this past Sunday in a statement that the grant funds program in Ecuador to incorporate and conceptualize diversity, inclusion, and representation to equity and accessibility. <sighs> Talking about this part of a number of programs sponsored by American taxpayer dollars. One aims to use the arts to raise awareness about diversity and inclusivity, gives the LGBTQ people an outlet to express themselves freely and safely. No, guys. Taxpayer dollars are not to be wasted like that. U.S. taxpayer dollars. Oh, well, you know, I, I could request a grant, try to help uh, fund this show to elevate the quality of the show to a higher level. Uh, get some new equipment in here to get the audio quality uh, back up where it ought to be. Uh, maybe even hire a producer so that uh, I could be more focused on, you know, just bringing you the information instead of having to wear all the different hats, which unfortunately sometimes, especially when I have a tech issue, is more of a distraction that does hurt the quality of the program. I could do that. Functioning as a nonprofit, just trying to get enough money to fund the show and be at that, uh, providing educational services because. There's no question that if you listen to this broadcast, you're going to occasionally hear things that you're not going to hear anywhere else, even with other podcasters that are doing a really good job of trying to bring you information. You're still occasionally going to hear stories here that you're just not hearing anywhere else. So even though I don't consider myself a journalist, I'm more of a commentator. I do see that I'm bringing educational value. I think I qualify for a grant on that basis, but you know what? I'm not going to get it. You know why? Because we have to send those taxpayer dollars to Ecuador so they can have drag shows. It needed to be talked about. We're here. It's It really is Banana Republic time. I, I may... I may be just a, a tad bit too Pollyannish because I still, even now, in these darkest days, believe that the Republic can be saved. 
but it is going to take a concerted effort on all of our parts. Going to need you guys to step up. Going to need you to show up at the voting booth. I'm going to need you to vote in such large numbers that there's no amount of shenanigans that are going to be able to overtake the legitimate results. I want you to show up so that we can hear people like Hillary Clinton continue to whine about how those elections were stolen. Because, you know, if they're saying it's stolen, it means we won. And, you know. It's good for us to win. We need to win. If we're going to save the republic, the first thing, the first order of business is to slam on the brakes hard on the Biden administration's efforts to, you know, destroy the republic. Because they're doing way too good of a job of it right now. We've got to push back. That's going to have to be it for tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for staying here. Hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Chris earlier. Don't forget to go check out Capital Punishment and be on the lookout for his new series as he's going back to the border. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And uh, I guess a final message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. before I go. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon.